Hey there, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Through Stained Glass podcast. This podcast is an attempt to engage with the things going on in the culture through the lens of the greater reality of God in the hope that we might live lives that are profoundly shaped by the gospel story. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to uh, Redeemer City Church's podcast series uh, through stained glass. And um, where it, it, maybe if you've been tuning in to the series, you know that this particular season is on how to disagree well, uh, which is very timely. Uh, my name is Jeff Skipper, one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. And today uh, with me, I have Justin Woodall. Um, Justin is a pastor in the PCA planting City Church over in St. Petersburg. Justin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's great to be here. Yeah, how's things going in St. Pete? Other than the Rays are winning in the playoffs, you know? The Rays are winning big, and that's, that's a very exciting thing for me. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's going well, and then things are going, you know, just about the same as they are for everybody else with, the, with uh, St. Pete right now. So it's all about the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, with, with the fact that we're so connected through media and we're being exposed to all the same things, you're probably uh, in the same, I don't know, state that most of us are right now, just aware of how much disagreement is happening across the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see it, we see it all over here, both not only just in sort of the digital world, but in the physical world, we're seeing it in our city um, as we work through stuff like this. And so I think this is something that all of us are acutely aware of that we're not uh talking to each other well Mm. well you know that was on full display the other night in the first presidential debate i mean we could just refer everybody (laughs) to that on youtube what not to do and and you know uh but you know whether it's uh political disagreements um obviously uh racial justice issues and and riots and um you know across the board uh people are not disagreeing well and that creeps into the church as well right yeah so i think the question we're kind of discussing is how should we uh be different how how do we disagree well within the church and why is that important and and how does that affect our witness well i think one of the things that strikes me is that jesus in his high priestly prayer prayed that we as christians would be one so how do we how do we live that out i mean how do we do that thing that Jesus prayed for us for how do we live as one and I think that I think that we're struggling to do that right now yeah and I think it's easy to define living as one I think you know we immediately think that means we have to be on in unity on every single thing is that oneness uh or is there wiggle room for disagreement and I think that's what we're going to dig into today a little bit yeah I think so Um, uh, particularly as we head into this uh, discussion, we're going to talk about uh, epistemological humility. And that is a big, big, fancy word. Um, and we're going to break that down. Uh, but on this particular episode, we're, we're going to hone in on that later in the episode about how that's a key, a really key ingredient to disagreeing well. And so as we get going, um, one of our professors from seminary, his name was Richard Pratt, had this concept uh, of what he called a cone of certainty. Um, and Justin, I know you mentioned that you, you talk about this a little bit in your new members class. Yeah, yeah. So this is something that we, we talk about a lot, and it's, it's the most awful thing to try to talk about on a podcast <laughs> because it's a really visual idea. So, um, hey, hey, open safari. Concept. 
Open Safari in Google Pratt Cone of Certainty right now if you're listening and you'll see it. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, the idea is that that we have kind of a bullseye, sort of a a hierarchy of beliefs. And if you put them on a on a bullseye like a dartboard, you got the stuff right in the middle, and that's your core stuff. That's that's the creeds. That's the if you don't have this sort of stuff, you're no longer a Christian. And then that next ring on that dartboard, that that next ring is the sort of things that are denominational distinctives. That are stuff that we may disagree with one another, but we're still Christians. We're still friends. You, you know, this is the reasons why there are churches like Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and Anglican churches. And then that last ring, that last part of the dartboard is, is issues of conscience. And so these are things like, you know, do you, is it okay to have a beer after work? You know, is it all right to read Harry Potter? It may even include things like, <laughs> could you vote for a third party or a different party than your fellow Christians uh, around you may vote for? And so mm. one of the things that's important for us as Christians to remember is how to sort of separate and how much space is in these things. So if you mm. think about that bullseye and you lay it on the ground or lay it on a tabletop and you pinch it and pull it up into a cone, right? I know mm. this is awful for a podcast. I get that. But imagine in your mind pulling that bullseye up into a cone. What's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of ice cream that can fit in the wider part of that cone. Mm. You're not going to have as much ice cream in the middle, that section that's our denominational distinctives. And there's very little ice cream that can fit in the top, that pointy part of the cone. And the same is true of our Christian beliefs. We have to sort of sort things out in the way that we hold on to things. So the way I often sort of think about it is, as you go down the cone, it's, it's sort of two fist, one fist, no fist, Right. So the things that are at the top mm. of the cone are the things that we'd hold on to with two fists, right? Jesus is the son of God. God is, God is one God who eternally exists as three persons in Holy Trinity. Salvation by faith alone. This is the stuff that we, the, the hills that we die on, right? I mean, Jeff, would you add anything to those, those ideas? Uh, no, and, and, and I think that's great. Um, the ice cream cone, you know, I used to eat ice cream cones, and some of those ice creams had that, like, fudge at the very bottom. And that, like... Yeah. That's the non-negotiable. That's like the most important part, you know. Uh, I can right. share the rest with everybody, but not that. Um, and so I think on that particular part, whether we call them the, those the essentials of our faith, those things that we can have certainty over, um, are, you know, nicely summarized in the Apostles' Creed. Some of those things that you were, uh, you know, all people are made in the image of God, uh, the virgin birth, the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the fact he's going to come back and, and make, right. make things right. These, these big pieces um, you know, the, I think uh, a question before that is, can we have certainty on, on those things? How, how sure can we be? And, you know, I think of uh, the gospel writer Luke, the very beginning of his gospel, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus, which I should have named my first son. Uh, and <laughs> he said, Theophilus, listen, I'm writing to you so that you may have certainty about these things. Uh, and it's funny in the Greek, um, the word gnosko is no, but I went and looked that word up in Luke 1, and it's epigonosco. It's like an over-knowing, a, 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 a total thorough certainty about what you believe, those things that we hold on to very, very tightly. Yeah, and I think that there's, 
there, there's a good way to think about this is what has the church historically believed about this? You know, we're, we're part of the Presbyterian church. We believe firmly in sola scriptura, uh, but at the same time, that also means that we rely on and, and consider what has happened before us, which is why I think the Apostles' Creed is oftentimes what we talk about being in, in that sort of top of this cone. Because it's yeah. not just the things that are clear in Scripture that are sort of laid out for us, but it's also the things that the church has universally agreed on as the Orthodox Church since the very beginning. Right, right. And so as we you know, define some of those essentials, and you can look up creeds, and most people probably know those main things that we're, that we're talking about, what are some examples of non-essentials then? Uh, that we would hold a little more loosely or openly. Right. I, I, I think, you know, one of the ones that I think about uh, oftentimes is, is the idea of, a bapt- of baptism. I grew up in the mm-hmm. Baptist church, and so I wasn't uh, baptized until I made a profession of faith when I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. But then you have my kids who, who have been raised in the Presbyterian church, and they were baptized when they were infants. It, so mm-hmm. is one better than the other, right? right. Is one belief like mean that it's essential and maybe me or maybe my kids, I don't know, some, somebody's not going to heaven over this? Somebody's not really a Christian over this? I, I don't think so. I think this is something that, that we believe to be true from the Bible, but we also can agree to disagree with our brothers on. It's kind of harder to agree to disagree religiously on the deity of Jesus. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can even look and... Uh, our membership vows in the PCA, how broad they are. You know, one of the questions isn't, uh, do you believe in this particular uh, eschatological view, you know, uh, or, you know, a certain type of baptism. Uh, It sticks to the main things. And so I think that distinction between essentials and non-essentials is super important. And uh, as I was thinking through disagreements on those particular topics, just even biblically, I I thought, you know, with Peter and Paul in Galatians 2, you see an example of uh, that essentials disagreement. Right, right. Yeah, that, that Paul was willing to go to the mat and he tells Peter, you have lost the gospel here. Right. I mean, that's right. Like, that's pretty harsh for a, an apostle to say to another apostle, right? <laughs> You've right. lost the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And like, we're going to shed blood over this. This could potentially be worth a split. I'm going to confront you publicly, all of that, right? Um, an example of a, of a disagreement on a main thing. Uh, but a non-essential, I thought of Paul and Barnabas got in their yeah. spat in Acts, Acts 15, right? Yeah. Uh, over Mark. You know, should we take Mark along? Should we not? And, and they actually split up. Um, they stayed. They didn't rule each other out of the faith over that. Uh, they just had different right. strategies. Yeah, he had, they didn't agree that they had lost the gospel. They just didn't didn't want to travel or did want to travel with that guy for whatever reason. <laughs> right, right. And so uh, we can have certainty on these things, but even that term certainty can be loaded at times because, mm. you know, is certainty dangerous? Is a certain, a certain type of certainty dangerous? Any thoughts yeah, on think- that? I think that there is um, the, the sort of certainty that I think is difficult is the sort of certainty that by and large our culture has, has bit down on, which is certainty in regards to others. Okay. So if I start talking to you and you share your opinion on a, a given topic, let's say the effectiveness of wearing a mask to prevent the spread of COVID. Mm. And you, and you tell me your thoughts on that. It's easy for us to 
to go from there, to go from that, that somewhat simple or at least somewhat small thing and say, okay, well, if you don't think that masks are, are effective, then you must also believe and start sort of going down the line and go, therefore, I can imagine who you're voting for because <laughs> of your, top, your stance on masks and vice versa, right? You don't want right. to wear a mask. Therefore, you believe, and, and we approach these things with a, a level of certainty. We, we start dividing people up. And one of the things that it does is one of the things that certainty does especially certainty about others is it kills curiosity. Certainty mm. always kills curiosity. So if I'm certain of what you believe because of our discussion of masks or no masks, or you could even do, do you like Miller light or some, you know, local <laughs> Grove roots IPA? Well, I can, I can tell a lot about you then by your answer to that question. Yeah, that and all of a sudden true. we don't get yeah. to become certain. You know, right. we don't get to go, we don't get to engage with somebody. We don't get to treat them, as you mentioned before, with the image of God, because I'm already pre-certain of what they're about. I, I just ignore that. And curiosity and, and any sort of fair treatment or thoughtfulness can very quickly go out the door. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's so much easier to quickly categorize people and put them in tribes and camps and label them so I can keep navigating life. Uh, and it makes life feel controlled, right? Uh, but it also feeds my self-righteousness that I'm right, they're wrong, us versus them, right? Yeah. Um, and, Absolutely. And I think that's one, you know, and, and, and that's one of the questions, you know, that I have is the one way you check your certainty is how is your certainty leading you to live? Because oftentimes our certainty brings the ugliest sides out of us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, because when we're, when we're so certain, we can't listen. We cannot possibly be convinced by another person uh, over right. anything. Right. You know, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, Jeff, you and I are baseball fans. And, and I think one of the things that, you know, one of the places I've seen this very clearly is in the, the relationship between the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Yankees. If mm. you ask the Tampa Bay Rays, they are 100% certain that Aroldis Chapman and several other Yankees players are throwing at the Rays maliciously. <laughs> and they are certain of it. And if you talk to about half of Yankees fans, not all of them, but, but about half of them, they're going to say that there's no possible way. That, that, <laughs> that it was just a fluke. That, that sometimes mm. pitches get away from all of your pitchers on the same day, you know, it just, it, stuff happens, man. <laughs> and there's a certainty there that then kills conversation, that kills the way that we interact with one another. Right, right. And, and, and which really is um, not honoring the fact, like you said, that everyone's made in the image of God and they're complex, deep, deep people. And uh, it's not black and white, um, which would require a lot more listening than lecturing uh, as we, as we go through and some of the nastiest things in history, you know, even religious wars came from a place of unhealthy certainty and, and right mm -hmm. now on social media and politics, that's all we see. So I guess, how can we hold these, this certainty, the thing, the things that we hold with certainty with that epistemological humility, right? How, how, how do we navigate that? And, and maybe let's define epistemology. Um, what, what does that mean? What are we getting at? 
Yeah. So epistemology is just the way that we think about things. It's just sort of thought for your thoughts, right? It's, mm. it's kind of how do you know what you know? Mm-hmm. And then humility is something we talk about in the church a lot. It's just a, this idea of, of because I am not God, because I am not all-knowing, because I am not uh, omnipresent, because I'm not all-powerful, there is another beside me, God, that is those things. And so I need to know my place, right? And so, so epistemological humility is, is knowing the place that our knowledge has. Mm. And, and that is that we're not God, that we don't right. have it all together. Right. And, and, and so I think as we have these discussions, right, within the church and outside of the church, and we, we practice like disagreeing well, listening well, right? I think we start there just in that, from that creation perspective that very simply, I'm not God. I'm not omniscient. I am a limited human with a finite mind. Like, even if that's right. all we had, I can only be so arrogant in my knowing. Right. Yeah. I, if his ways are above my ways, if his ways mm. are higher than my ways, like the psalmist says, and, and his thoughts are not my thoughts, then, then right. my thoughts have a natural place of not being top shelf. My thoughts, right. I, by, my, by the fact that I'm a human, who, by the way, one of the things that sin did is it broke our brain. Sin broke our epistemology. Right. <laughs> it, it, it did. If you're married, if you have, if you have, have kids, you, you know this, right? Right. I mean, how many disagreements <laughs> do we have with somebody close to us where you, you said this, no, I said that. And our mm, brains yeah. are so broken that we will go to the mat over something like that, right? And yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll have a full-on argument. Well, one of the things that this, this concept that, that Jeff, you brought up, epistemological humility, or, or maybe we could call it something else, just like, like thoughtful self-skepticism, mm-hmm. just this idea that I'm willing to check myself, to check my brain's ego at the door allows me to begin to approach others and, yeah. and approach my own thoughts in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. If, if I believe that I'm not only just a limited human, but even that I'm a sinner, I will have a healthy self, I don't want to say doubt, but like you said, skepticism. I'll turn on myself and say, am I sure about that? Like a, a cross-examination of myself. You know, I thought of that <laughs> proverb that says, uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a yeah. way that I think, there's a way that seems right to me that's deadly, quote unquote, to me and to those around me. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and I we, mean, yeah. Yeah. So even moving on from there, if we, if we go from just cr- our createdness, uh, uh, the fact that we're limited and not omniscient, right. that, that should give us that humility. But also the gospel, the first thing it does is humble us. Right. I mean, it forces us to reckon with the fact that not only do we not have it together, but we can't get it together. Yeah. Not only are we previously broken, but our future efforts are broken and, and are trapped as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, we were so far gone and going about doing things the way we thought life should go that it took nothing less than the Son of God to come and live for us and die for us and, and rise again and defeat the grave. That's how far off we were. 
Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we often talk about it in, in other terms, but, but if you were dead and you just got a new brain when Christ made you alive, you, you should probably be even a little, you know, humbled by that. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing the cross shows us is that, hey, listen, you, you can't be harsh with other people. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you can't be self-righteous and proud and arrogant, you know, with other people. And it says, you know, it, it, but at the same time, it, it gives us a deep security. And to me, I feel like that opens the door to these conversations that if my security is in Christ, then I can openly have these other conversations without my identity and uh, security and safety feeling threatened. And I feel like that's at the root of why we have so many arguments. Like, why do I get so aggressive and so angry over these issues when people disagree with me? I think that's like a a light on the dashboard of my life saying, pull over, look under the hood, dude. You're, you're acting out. You know, you're, you're, you are feeling deeply threatened. Um, is your security in Christ? Right, right. And, and, and that's because... We can, we can be free to be wrong because being wrong isn't the worst thing in the world. Right. Christ, yeah. Christ has already taken care of the worst thing in the world for me. Yeah, and, yeah. And so I, if I'm wrong, okay, <laughs> great, I'm wrong. That's okay. My life does not depend on being right. Right, right. And that, there's a difference, right? Like my righteousness is not in my right knowing. Right. Like I, I do, right? It's not in my having all the answers. It's in Jesus. And so therefore, I can, I can hold up certain things with an open hand and change my mind. Right. I can, I can believe that it's, that it's okay to have a beer. I can believe that it's okay to read Harry Potter. Mm. I can believe those things. And, and when my friend doesn't, and when my friend says, nah, I'm not okay with that as a Christian, I can be okay with both of us coexisting. I can say, right. cool, neat. This is not a core issue. We don't even we, we don't even have to talk about this. Let's just move on. Because right. it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean so so why should I have this humility in my knowing? One is my createdness. Two is the gospel shows me that. But you know, also just my experience in life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've changed my mind on a lot of things <laughs> over time. Right. right? Uh, I, I didn't yeah. think the same way I did. I don't think now the same way I did 10 years ago about many, many things or even 10 minutes ago. And so I have to even ask myself, like, there's a probably a really good chance I'll think very differently about certain topics in 10 years from, from now. Right. It, that, that just makes all the sense in the world, right? That we are constantly understanding more about the world around us. And if we're Christians and we're kind of engaging with things like CBR, not only that, we're understanding more about the Bible than we understood five years mm. ago. And mm. we're understanding more about our own soul than mm. we did five years ago. And so the fact that we are constantly in process, our understanding of the world as we know it is evolving every day. Mm. Yeah. Our understanding yeah. of our soul as we know it is evolving every day. Our understanding of God's word is evolving every day and, and every Sunday by every Sunday as we gather together with God's people and worship. And so mm. all of those things are constantly changing. So if those things are constantly changing, should not that give us the humility to look back f five years ago and oh my say, goodness. how wrong was I on that? 
Dude, yeah. And those were the days, man. I used to know it all. You know, uh, and, and now I, it, it is. I, I used to hear uh, one of my older pastors used to say, the more I know, the less I know. And I was like 20 and he was like in his mid 50s. And I, I didn't really know completely what that meant. But the older I get, the more I, I understand it. You know? I remember hearing an old Scottish proverb and there was this uh, this king who was a bachelor until somewhat late in his life. And he was he was famed for being uh, very intelligent and you know, very well read and a learned king of Scotland. And then he got married and, you know, his wife got pregnant and he said, you know, people came to him and asked him how he felt about that. And he said, well, in my years, I've realized that there are four theories on parenting. And so as we have these kids, we're going to institute these four theories on parenting. And so the person left and went away for many years and came back to the king and he, when he came back, the king had four children. And so he went back to the king and he said, uh, King, how, how is it going? And he said, you know, before I had kids, I had four theories on parenting. Now I have four kids and no theories. <laughs> Amen to that, man. Yeah, yeah. Life does that to you. It's funny, you know, um, uh, the early church father, Augustine, uh, in the fourth century. So his last work that he didn't finish, but he was working on, uh, actually when he died was, uh, called retractations. And mm. so it was a personal critical survey of all of his writings. So in his old age, he was rereading all of his sermons, all of his books that he had written, and he was writing a new book saying, uh, yeah, I don't agree with that anymore. Uh, you know, right. I've changed. I've changed my mind on this. And I thought, what a great example of humility of just being able to say, I've changed my mind. Uh, you know, I, and, and the freedom, uh, the liberty, in saying I don't know and being okay with that. Right. Yeah. And and that he was that he was by all accounts probably one of the smartest Christian thinkers in the history of the church. And <laughs> right. his last work was to do a giant oops. To yeah, write a yeah. giant book of oops. And, and that in itself is the sign of spiritual maturity. Right. The ability, the ability to do that shows intellectual and epistemological humility and maturity. And a right. security and he, in Jesus. He didn't have to be right because he was trusting in Jesus to be his righteousness. He could not just admit he was wrong, but mm. publish <laughs> right. It's so great, man. I want to live that way. Well, so so in light of just all these reasons we have, uh, where do we go from here? You know, as Christians in the church in such a, you know, intense time of disagreement everywhere we look, uh, why is this important? How do we live this out? I think one way for me is, is, is the idea that curiosity over certainty, mm. especially in non-essential issues, is, is the open door to hospitality, mm. which I think is something that we, we have lost as a culture. I mean, mm. you think about it, when's the last time, you know, this is something I'll ask my folks, when's the last time you had dinner at your home with somebody whose ballot is going to look differently than yours? Hmm, Yeah. When's the last time you had dinner in your home with somebody whose shopping patterns are incredibly different than yours? And I think for a lot of us, we might strain. We might struggle to remember the last time, especially outside of our own family. You know, maybe, yeah. 
maybe you know your your uncle from out of town came in and you had you know no I'm talking a- I'm talking a neighbor I'm talking somebody from your neck of the woods who's going to live their life in a dramatically different way than you. If we are so certain of our position and so quick to pigeonhole others into a specific niche, we are going to have a hard time showing them genuine hospitality. Mm. Welcoming them with the welcome that Christ welcomes us with. And, and, and not welcoming, welcoming them over to uh, educate them on how wrong they are with their particular yeah. views. Hey, to come have them. dinner. I'll, I'll, let me tell you what you need to know. But, you know, James says a spirit-filled life is one that's quick to listen, right? Slow to speak. One that's mm-hmm. open, open to reason, he says later in the book. You know, that's wisdom yeah. from above. What does that look like in Christians today? Yeah, and I think that that is a way that, you know, I think nobody nobody looks around at the world. Nobody looks around at the world this week and says, this is fine. All of this, this is fine, mm-hmm. right? Nobody says that. Everybody says that all of this is horribly messed up. But I think that our culture's tendency is to just punt to cynicism. Mm-hmm. Well, system's broken. Everything's broken. Maybe if I can just get my guy in power, we can wield the power in our direction, or my gal in power, and we can read the, wield the power in our direction. But it creates cynicism. And I think one of the ways that the church can beautifully embody the gospel is by fighting through cynicism, by listening to others, by yeah. showing humility, and not even trying to prove them wrong, but just to allow people to talk. And allowing them to engage with one another and creating a space where people can talk, where people can disagree on, on significant topics, but still love one another. You know, I was, I was reading the story uh, at the beginning, the, the introduction to uh, the newest book by Scott Sauls, uh, which mm-hmm. is called A Gentle Answer. And he tells the story, which is a really, it's a beautiful story of um, Dan Crenshaw. I think it's Dan Crenshaw, right? The mm-hmm. uh, representative from Texas? Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, he, was, he was made fun of on uh, Saturday Night Live a few years back when he oh, was yeah. uh, running for office. And, and the guy that made fun of him was Pete Davidson. Oh, yeah. And, and you know... Pete Davidson didn't sort of know exactly what he was making fun of in Dan Crenshaw. Like, he didn't know the whole story. If you don't know, Dan Crenshaw wears an eye patch from a, a wound that he got in the Gulf War. And, you know, Saturday Night Live was lampooning him and, and all this. Well, all of a sudden, all of Pete uh, Davidson's dad's friends, his dad, Pete Davidson's dad, passed away as a firefighter in 9-11. So all of his dad's friends that kind of raised him started reaching out to him like, man, that's not cool, man, that's not cool. And he went into this horrible depression. Dan Crenshaw heard about this and he reached out to Pete Davidson to comfort Pete Davidson. Mm. Now look, did Dan Crenshaw have every reason in the world to be upset? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy is making fun of his literal woundedness. Right, right, right. (laughs) And he's doing it on national TV that's going to live forever on YouTube. Yeah. He could have just been like, dude, you're a jerk. 
I'm out. I'm not speaking to you. But Dan Crenshaw pursued Pete Davidson. And Mm. what ended up happening is a few months later, Dan Crenshaw went on SNL and they sort of talked it out and they had a funny banter that was pre-planned. And then the cameras, they were supposed to go to commercial and the cameras and the sound didn't quite cut when they thought they were. And Pete Davidson at the end of this segment turns to Dan Crenshaw and and he's got tears in his eyes and he says, you're a really good man, Dan. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't happen if Dan Crenshaw sticks to his guns and says, Pete Davidson, you know, Dan Crenshaw's a Republican, and he says, Pete Davidson is a New York City liberal who is doing nothing but making fun of my values, my country, and my service to our country. If he doubles down on that, he has no chance to show that sort of welcome to Pete Davidson. Yeah, 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 and that's, and that's our witness for the world to turn and look at us and say, wow, like, what is this resource, this almost supernatural ability where Christians disagree way better than we disagree they they don't break fellowship with one another like they continue to 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 eat from the same bread at communion while they deeply disagree with one another over these other issues and it's because we rally around that main thing i was talking to a guy uh last night while my kids were doing jujitsu and he owns a local dunkin donuts and we were talking some politics or whatever and he said man i have these two old guys who come in every morning and they just chew each other out over politics every morning <laughs> and i look at them and and the thing and then they get up at the end and they shake hands and they come up the next day and they do it again and i was like yeah because i, I said the glory of the donuts and coffee that that's their greater allegiance that brings them together right like is it possible that that's Jesus for us? Like he's our main thing so we can get together. We can disagree on these lesser issues and continue to do life with one another, uh, be humble, grow, learn from one another. Uh, Jeff, I think there's another thing that this really um, gets into, which is relevant to our culture now, that if we are willingly self-skeptical, if Mm. we are engaging in this slow to speak, um, quick to listen sort of thing, it is, it is going to create, an, in some ways, an end uh, to the cancel culture. This is how we fight back against cancel culture, is with epistemological humility, mm. is with this idea that I could be wrong. Because mm. all of a sudden, if I could be wrong... I don't have to go out and lampoon somebody who disagrees with me. I don't have to make my choices of where I'm going to get my dinner based on the Twitter ads that this company made. Right? Mm -hmm. I can participate in loving 100% of my neighbors. And so that's something that I think that this can begin to create in us. No doubt. Yeah. And it's, it's so uh, counterintuitive uh, to think all there is is noise right now. I mean, the, the whole debate the other night where they, they were just like kind of like yelling over each other. You go on right. social media, Twitter, all it is is everyone yelling. Uh, it's counterintuitive to think that our greatest witness might be, like you said, just listening, just being curious, just being hospitable, just having a faithful presence. And inevitably, at some point, People are going to lean in and want to know more. And it opens right. the door to evangelism for us to talk about Jesus. Uh, and, and yeah. So, well, uh, hopefully this was helpful. Justin, thank you for coming and having this discussion. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, man. Go Rays. Go Rays. <laughs> All right, see you.